Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the King Speak Podcast. This is episode number five, and I'm your host, Tucker Bass. I thank you for joining me here today. So we're going to have an action-packed show and a fantastic King of the Day. is going to join me from 97.5, 1280 The Zone. If you've been following our social media, you know exactly who it is. But first, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, TMJ Therapy. If you're experiencing any jaw pain, any locking, uh, popping of the jaw, any migraines, headaches, or even sleep apnea, you could be suffering from dysfunction of your TMJ. This can be treated through an oral appliance therapy. Dr. McMillan and Dr. Hardy TMJ Therapy have helped hundreds of people get out of pain through their non-invasive therapy treatment. They have the latest technology such as 3D CBCT scans that show the skull and jaw from all angles, as well as the airways that might affect you and your breathing while you sleep. So don't hesitate. Call with any questions or set up your consultations. They're located in American Fork, North Ogden, and Riverton. And if you tell them Tucker Bass sent you, you'll get $10 off that initial consultation. Their number is 801-756-0900. That's 801-756-0900. So a little bit about... Our king of the day, Hans Olsen, uh, he's played in this rivalry. He played at BYU from 96 to 2000. Uh, bully on the field, amazing player, uh, but and even amazing person. If you listen to him on 97.5, 12 to the zone, you know he, he knows what he's talking about. Very educated. Uh, has a fantastic show as well that's, that's called Film Study that you can find on their website. And he breaks down a, a lot of what people miss and you just don't get it elsewhere so i'm very grateful for the opportunity that i have to speak with hans olsen today and to to learn from him and to be to be mentored by him going forward he's a fantastic person and uh we're going to be talking a lot of holy war rivalry football this week so don't go anywhere ladies and gentlemen without a further ado here's here's our man hans olsen All right, everybody. I uh, I've now got Mr. Hans Olson on the line with me. Hans, how are you doing, brother? Doing fantastic, Tucker. I'm just glad to be here. I, I wish that you would call and ask more often, but <laughs> I understand once every couple of years is is all you need from me. So we'll hey, get through it. What whatever I can do to keep you happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Keep keep you happy, and uh, you know me just satisfied. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, man. It's fun to talk to your listeners. No problem, brother. If 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 people could take anything away from today, I need them to take away from the fact that you are a fantastic human being, and I really appreciate the time that you're giving me. But before we step into football, I did have to talk about a different F word, food. All right. <laughs> this is something I've been I've been working on all week. Uh, I gotta know what you're smoking on game day this week, since it's a holy war. I always go tri tip on game days. Bold, beefy flavor, man. I go tri tip. I, I I like to get the Costco tri tip, the two pack. Uh, take them out individually. I, I I tend to hit them with actually it's a prime rib rub. 
and I'll hit him the night before. I'll let him sit in that rub for about 12 hours, 16 hours. Uh, I go, I go on a low smoke, about 180 degrees. I do a super smoke on my pellet feeder and I'll take it on the super smoke for about 45 minutes to an hour and try to pack some of that smoke flavor into it. I used to take it off and, and heat up my cast iron skillet with a little bit of butter, butter and garlic. Mm. And then I'd hit it on high heat for a, a quick sear to get my internal to 120. But now I actually crank my pellet back up to about 450 and I throw it back onto the pellet smoker for a sear. I, I found that when I do the pan sear with the butter and the garlic, it's, it's great, but it tightens the meat up too much. Mm. Even, even if I let it rest for five, 45 minutes, but when I hit it, when I hit it on the high temperature on the, the pellet smoker, it's, it doesn't tighten the meat as much. I'll still let it rest for 30 minutes and it seems to relax a little bit more, be just a little bit more soft, but it's going to be that beautiful, bold, incredibly flavored tri-tip. Every single game day. It's the to me, it's the top end meat because of just how how much beef flavor you get in a tri tip. Yep. Oh, amen, dude. I, I Costco can never go wrong with with their meat. I don't know what what it does, where they get it from, but uh, I highly oh, agree. It's the best. I personally will be doing a a ham. I I think I can give honey baked ham a run for their money a little bit with my Traeger. Uh, I, I also have a little pellet one, but uh. I put it in there for about four to six hours, and then I kind of create this little glaze for it. And it, honestly, I, I'm what surprised. Do you, what what do you buy? You just buy the spiral cut, or yeah, or spiral do do? cut. I do it from uh, just from Smiths. Honestly, they they have a deal like every year that's uh-huh. I don't know like twelve ninety nine for this these huge hams. So I just buy yeah. four or five of them, and and, and you do a, you do a candy sauce on it. Candy sauce. Yep. Yep. Brown sugar. My so goodness. Good. Yeah, you know, um, something you can do with your hams that are, are really good, you, you candy them, you let them smoke for a little bit, then you take them off about halfway through the cook, and you throw a slice of fresh, people do canned pineapple, don't do it, and I know people are like, don't put pineapple on pizza, pineapple, blah, 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 <laughs> but I love doing this, man, I, I'll cut, um, I'll cut fresh pineapple wedges, and I'll put it between like one every two slices, in that spiral cut, I'll, I'll re-candy it and then throw it back in. Uh, some people will smoke that pineapple through the whole process. Mm-hmm. I like that a little bit later because I like to eat that pineapple with the ham. And I like my pineapple. I don't like it, like, overly done. So I try to do it a little bit later so my pineapple is just a little – has a little better consistency. But See, I'm a guy that is – maybe not the biggest fan of pineapple on pizza. So when you guys have that conversation, which is often, I, I'm usually one of those guys tweeting, I don't think it belongs on pizza, but I think that would actually go quite well with a candied candied ham. Oh, it does. Never thought of it. Never oh, it would have thought it's, of it. It, it. It's so good. Oh, my gosh, man. It is, it, it is just the, the most delicious thing. And then the best thing with that candied ham is the next morning – Dicing up some of the candied ham, getting a little bit of, of a sharp, mm. a sharp cheddar cheese. Um, I like to saute a little onion. I, I saute it before I throw it into that omelet. But I do, I do a candy ham, sharp cheddar, and a sautéed onion. 
if I've got mushroom, I'll throw it in, but I won't go out of my way to get the mushroom. Yeah. If I do throw in mushroom in my omelet, I'll always saute my mushroom with my onion in a little bit of garlic butter and throw it into that omelet. And my goodness, some, uh, I'll when get... you start in a restaurant, that's my question. Oh, dude, I, <laughs> Scotty, Scotty Gerard, uh, my co-host on the midday show at 1280 the zone. We, we've talked about starting a restaurant for a long time. The problem is we can't ever land on what our specialty would be because he wants it to be smoked meats. I think that's a lot of overhead. I want it to be Italian because, you know, pasta and breads are, are a, a little bit cheaper and you can chuck them at the end of the day. And but you can do anything with it. Yeah. And he's, but he's got all these post meese recipes, throwing it in, you know, different jambalayas and, <laughs> and different stroganoffs. And I'm just like, man, but he, yeah, well, we definitely have these creative food minds and, and we do love to build in the, in the kitchen, but Food service is really tough, man. I my, I grew up, my mom owned a, a fudge shop and a deli, and she did, you know, like nachos and uh-huh. classic soups, and she had a Queen Liz sandwich. The Queen Liz is actually something that kind of set me off at a young age for for creating great foods, but a Queen Liz is, is a softened hoagie bun, a fresh softened hoagie bun. What I mean by softened is you can either butter it and grill it for, or in, and put it on a griddle for a short time or just throw it in the microwave if you're in a pinch. It softens that bun just a little bit. And then it's, it's Canadian bacon laid on top of Thousand Island. And you can do a Swiss. Some do a mozzarella, but it's a, a Swiss. And then for, for a good Queen Liz, you've got to have onions and sprouts. I know sprouts are a dying breed on sandwiches. But, they kind of uh, are, yeah. Yeah, but but it sprouts and a, and a fresh cut tomato. My mom always had, for the most part, she did local source tomatoes. So, you know, it was a, a farm grown tomato, which you know, if you're a foodie, you know that a store bought and a farm grown tomato or a home grown tomato, two completely different, different worlds. Yep. But but the Queen Liz set me off at a young age. I. I would sit in class in fifth and sixth grade, and all I would think about is getting a Queen Liz in my stomach right after <laughs> class. I my, I go down to my mom's shop and just raid it, eat chips and all That's kinds of great phenomenal. sandwiches. She did mixed mm-hmm. ice creams, um, so she she had all these original um, dipped chocolates, and you could take the dipped chocolates out of her display and throw it into a, a brick of ice cream. And she had this mixer that grinded it together. Mm. And, I, and I'd press that into fresh-made waffle cones. And, dude, I lived the life growing up, man. Sounds like it. I just ate lunch, and uh, I'm ready for <laughs> a second lunch at this point. It's so good. <laughs> oh, okay, now, well, let's, let's get into a little bit of football here. Uh, I – well – I want to ask you a question first. Speaking of your family and and talking football, what's it like having an uncle that's a Hall of Famer? And what kind of advice did he give you growing up that's made you be a success in your life? Well, it's funny that you bring that up because we just had Max Hall on, former BYU quarterback, and his uncle's Danny White. And Max and I've talked about growing up in uncle's shadows a lot. And 
like he mentioned in the interview, I'll echo his sentiment, which is, I was always proud to be the nephew of Merlin Olson. Mm -hmm. Always. In every press release, in every interview, whether it was college, high school, or the professionals, whether I was in the NFL or the AFL, I was always Merlin Olson's nephew. And I always wore that moniker with pride. I, I wore that Olson name with pride because he set such a high standard for the name. But there's also an aspect of never achieving what your uncle achieved. It's just, it's impossible. He had it all. He, he broadcast Super Bowls. He was on Little House on the Prairie. He was a 16-time Pro Bowler. Mm-hmm. He's a Hall of Famer. And he did all of that before I was born. <laughs> you know, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, all of that was done before I was born. And growing up, I just knew him as the uncle that set up our family reunions. I, I knew that there was something special about him. And I, I knew that he was a high achiever. But I didn't know. I knew he gave big hugs. And I knew that he knew how to play football and I knew I wanted to play football. And then when I told him I wanted to play football, it helped me. But there is something about having a flag bearer, a standard for your last name. That's been really rewarding, but also really diff- difficult because I am, I am not Merlin and I am not Phil and, and who also, he was a second round or second overall draft pick behind Terry Bradshaw was Merlin's brother. I'm not Oren, who is their younger brother that played with the Chiefs. I'm I'm not them. Like I'm a different type of Olsen. I'm a little wacky. I'm a little unpredictable. Uh, I've got a much more checkered background, history of youth. Like but at the same time, I try to represent myself like an Olsen. And and that comes from Merlin. That's awesome. Was there anything that he he taught you specifically, um, like like through things that you've read about him, that just really stood out, and and helped you along the way? Yeah, yeah. He's just his personal work. He he worked with the ch- the Children's Network for the Children's Miracle Network for I don't twenty some odd years raising money. Um, he he was all about a good cause, and he really left that legacy. He also worked with people on the side, uh, behind the scenes, which I learned a lot from him. Um, and I, I try to be open to those things. If I see youth that's hurt, youth that is in need, um, especially in that 13 to 18 year old range, mm-hmm. you know, that where the life life for a youth can really change. I, I've always tried to be receptive to their, their pain. And I've tried to be there to help those guys. And a lot of that is just based off of Merlin's example. He, he truly was a, a generous, charitable type individual. Well, you, you definitely imply that. If, if me being an outsider, I can, I can t- totally see how you've applied that in your life. And it's, it's gotten you places. So I appreciate that. Uh, also, you've, in, in your history, have played in this rivalry. You yeah. were at BYU from 96 to 2000. Was there anything that mm-hmm. you did differently during Holy War week than you maybe would have done any other week? 
yeah, my, my preparation for this game was different. Everything was different. You know, I grew up understanding at least somewhat the rivalry. I mean, my uncles played at Utah State, and so I had a good sense of that Utah State-BYU rivalry. And then obviously learned a really good base of that Utah-BYU rivalry from when I first arrived in 96. And you learn really quickly that it takes another gear. That rivalry takes another gear, another understanding, uh, another level of gut and effort. It's just, it's a totally different beast in and of itself, but you can't lend too much to it because then it, it makes you do things that you're not supposed to do in a football game. Mm-hmm. Get out of your lane, make the wrong read, try to force a ball deep into double or, or over the top coverage, or, you, you know, you make a bad decision and, and you really have to bring yourself back to center, rely on all of your base understandings, but you have to play with a high level of emotion. And it's, it is a different level of preparation for that game. So, I'm actually glad that you prefaced it in that way because I had a specific question I wanted to ask you regarding Charlie Brewer and this matchup. Do you think to a certain degree that it might uh, help him be more comfortable in this game due to the fact that he's hasn't had as an, an extensive background, say as Jaron Hall has. He grew up here, went to high school here, got recruited yeah. by BYU, He's been invested in this rivalry for quite a long time, and that can put pressure on it. We've seen in the past how a lot of younger BYU quarterbacks, uh, Zach Wilson being one in recent years, uh, up up at the U when they had a chance to win the game and made just one or two mistakes just because he was that, that amped about the game. And d- do you think that that might be of use to Charlie Brewer? Yeah, it plays into Charlie Brewer's benefit because he's been in a New Year's game. He's thrown 10,000-plus yards. He's played in a Power 5 conference. He's a super senior. He's got some NFL interest. And to be frank, it's not even about pressure to him. It's just business. Mm -hmm. And when I watched back to the Utah Weber State film, he approaches these games in a very businesslike sense. It's 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 cold and calculated. He does a great job of recognition. He he'll he'll know he'll he'll put recognition on blitz. He'll put recognition on safety. He'll put recognition on key routes, drop offs, hots, all those things. And the film of you showed it, man. He's poised. He's relaxed. He doesn't you know if he takes pressure and takes a big hit, he'll drop the the flat and. He'll get up, brush himself off, and it's just back to the next play. He, it is going to give him an advantage. I don't think you can rattle him, and I don't think even the 65,000 fans that are going to be in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, he's been in front of those crowds too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Charlie Brewer's got a bit of an advantage coming into this weekend. Do you think, um, I I guess, who do you think may have had the better week one performance out of of Brewer and Hall, if if we're going QB matchup real quick? Uh, Brewer had the best, the better week one. I think uh, his, uh, his, maybe his position or his, uh, his offense didn't, Mm -hmm. but he did. 
Jaron yeah. had, had a couple of really nice throws. The over-the-top pass to Neil Powell was very special. And But there, there, I don't think as much weight was put on him. I, I think that Brewer had to throw in a lot of pressures. Jay Hill schemed with Weber State's defense. He schemed a lot of brutal looks. And whatever they call that guy, the doctor of blitz, Arizona was pretty vanilla. Yeah. BYU did a really good job up front. I, I actually, like, okay, I'll, I'll say it this way. I looked at Utah's film, and I said, oh, Brewer was the player of this game. Yep. I looked at BYU's film, and I said, well, you you, you could put it on James Ippy, You could put it on Algier. You could put it on – I mean, Jaron was good. He just – he was really good. He just didn't grab me like Brewer did. And I, I honestly think that it may have played a factor that they're used to seeing Zach Wilson <laughs> – Everybody is at this point, and it's kind of hard to come in week one and put up performances like Zach did last year. There's that constant now by the fan base, you know, anticipation that every quarterback's going to be that good going forward. Yep. And from everything we've heard in, in pre-camp and, and, and seen so far, he looks like he can be a solid quarterback in the NCAA and possibly make it to the next level. I personally think Brewer... Uh, looks like an NFL quarterback. The only thing that I kind of question about Brewer is his arm strength. But as you were talking about earlier, he does a very good job at going to his checkdowns very quickly. Uh, he yep. he recognizes those blitz that those blitzes coming in, and he can dump it off. His IQ might be able to make up for some of the strength that his arm lacks. But mm-hmm. do you think there are times? I mean, we saw early on in the game that deep ball that he tried to go to Keithy that got the flag, uh, it, it, it was fairly fairly underthrown. And uh, it, it could possess issues, I think, later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his stature might play a little part into it. Um, he, he, he doesn't have a lot of uh, – he's got some athleticism, but you don't want to put that stature in the in the league taking hits uh, mm-hmm. off the edge if he's trying to scramble. That might play a part. I, I think his arm strength. We we still we need to see some sample sizes on it. Yeah, and and see if it's arm strength or if it, if that was a calculation. But so I, I've got some feelers out on that just watching it. But Charlie Brewer's like a quarterback. He is. I I've been very impressed from what I've been able to see so far. Uh, BYU versus Washington, though, I, I feel like one thing that was you mean lacking. Arizona? Or, or Arizona, yeah, sorry. BYU versus Arizona. Uh, I, I feel like one thing that I saw lacking in that game was BYU's D line. Uh, they, they did not get a lot of pressure on Cruz, and it, it, mm. it seemed to let him get pretty comfortable. I'm not sure if you saw the same thing. I, I, they only got four sacks, um, maybe pressured a little bit, but. Overall, I feel like Cruz had some time to sit there and, and go to his checkdowns as well. Well, Tyler Batty's going to have to really step up and be a one-on-one pressure guy in this rivalry game. I actually think he's got the ability to do it. And he showed some of that against Arizona. BYU lost Leotua kind of early in that game. He came back mm-hmm. later. So they, they lost him for a little bit. I actually think Tyler Batty's kind of the only one-on-one pressure, you know, multiple pressure type guy. I think Gabe Summers has some really unique um, rushes. I think he's got a great push-pull. So Gabe Summers could do some, make some noise in this rivalry game. Um, 
but as far as the bulk of this D line, I think they're pretty darn good in stopping the run. I don't think they're going to be great in one on one pressures. That comes down to Tyler Batty needing to step up. Step up. Okay. Yeah i i would tend I tend to agree. They've done a fantastic job in the last couple of years playing the run. They, they, one of the top teams in the nation, as well as Utah's D line. Though, if if you're going to choose one of those D lines right now that is more prepared for this game, who would you like? Yeah, it'd be the University of Utah. They've got a pretty deep rotation. Mika Tafua is probably the best of the two lines. Uh, there's youth in Zebra Carlton and Van Fillinger that I think we, we haven't seen, even against Weaver State, we just haven't seen. I know Carlton had a sack, but I don't think we've seen their full level. Corner Canyon then, just continues to put out talent, by the way, speaking of Fillinger and all the people that yeah. they've been able to put through that. That, that program over there. So shout out to them yeah, real do. quick. And I, I think Carlton, would he come out of Juan Diego? Yeah. Yeah. Same area, I guess. Something they so, put in the water. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good. And then they've got a, they've got a four, four man interior rotation. That's, that's just beastly. Uh, they got Cafusio six, six, three twenty. They've got Diane. That's six, six, I guess Cafusi be six, seven. Diane six, six. And then they got both the Pututas, Hate and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And those two are, are great internal rotators. And um, so I, I would give Utah the advantage and, and probably would for the last 10 years. They've just been, they're a factory there. True story. Well, Weaver State completed uh, 21 to 33 on the night for 213 through the air. I feel like they did a. Uh, the Utes themselves did a pretty good job at shutting down the run. Um, but allowing the 213 through the air, I saw some weaknesses in that defensive backfield. I don't know if it was uh, just just youth in general that maybe played in, into that or if it was just mm-hmm. Weaver State's talent. Um, is that going to possess an issue for them, that the defensive backfield at all? I don't think so. I, I think that they – They've got a lot of room to improve. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for, for Barron, the quarterback at Weber State, and mm-hmm. Rashid Shahid, the receiver. I know I know Jay Hill, the head coach at Weber State, did not want to recognize this, but six FCS teams got wins over FBS teams this weekend. Wow. I think that the shortened offseason, you know, you, you're just a few months re- removed from the end of that season. Yeah. I still think that there is in shape, timing, rhythm, everything that was back, I think it was pretty fluid. And I actually think Barron is an FBS level quarterback and Rashid Jaheed is certainly an FCS. He's more of a power five type receiver. Oh yeah, we'll see him on and, Sundays for sure. And so it's a really good backfield. And so I think I think Utah is going to be okay, but I think that they learned a lot about themselves in the defensive backfield in game one. So if you had to put a grade on the opening weekend for for both teams' performances before we get into kind of some rapid fire questions that I have for you and and some keys to the keys to the game. 
So I would go C plus for the University of Utah and uh, B, probably B, maybe B, yeah, probably a B for BYU. If I had to put a letter grade on both, C plus on B. And I go back and just look at the Utah film. They give up a, a touchdown off of a kick return and they had to have a couple of stops on the goal line, which they did a fantastic job. Their defense did some solid work forcing Utah to punt. And then they were stopped on the goal line a couple of times. So Weber State looked really good. Um, You know, to give those letter grades, I've got to take into consideration how I felt about their opponent. And Weber State's really good. It's going to be right in that, B minus the B range right there for both of them in opening week. What kind of grade or performance do you think they'd, they'd have to come up with this following week in order to uh, to get a victory? Do you think they can get away with grades, grades like that? You, no, you no. Utah might um, based off their talent. BYU is going to have to have, have an A A minus A plus level rating, and you know the thing that you really got to look at is the nine defensive touchdowns that Utah has had in this nine game streak that they've got on BYU, 29 total turnovers Wow! in these, in these nine games that they've, they've gone on this streak and BYU's got to play clean, no turnovers, zero turnovers. And they've got to have an overall better graded game than Utah to get the win here. Uh, okay. My, my quick rapid questions that I got for you. Uh, when I say a position group, I'd like you to give me which team you take. So if I if I say special teams, BYU, okay. Utah, and then why. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll do it as quickly as we can and then try to get through them. And, and then I'm going to try to get some, some keys to success from you and also possibly a prediction if you're allowed to. But uh, yeah, I I, th- I can give you a prediction. All right. Sure. Okay. So uh, if if you had to take BYU or Utah special teams, uh, Utah, Britton Covey, O line. I'm going to go Utah because of depth. They've got. I I think that they've got two guys that are coming back that are. It's going to add depth to Utah's O line, but. I th- I think the best offensive lineman in the state's James Empey. Let's go uh, D line. I'll take Utah's defensive line. Uh, we just talked about Van Fillinger and Carlton and yep. Mika Tafua. Linebackers. I have to take Utah's because I think they've got a second round draft pick in Devin Lloyd. Yeah, he looked pretty. Pretty phenomenal out there. A lot of speed. That 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 interception and the way he was yep. able to get his hands underneath the ball was yep. pretty special. Yep. Uh, let's go DBs. DBs. I'm going to go Utah because BYU lost Kenyon Ellis in that Arizona game, and if if Kenyon was out there, it, it, we might have a, a deeper conversation. But Clark Phillips is the best corner. Do we know the extent in, of that injury state. yet? By the way. Sorry to. Interrupt. We don't know the full extent. We just know that, that he's going to make a full recovery, and uh, and and it doesn't look like there's any severe nerve damage. So that's good. That's that's great news. Uh, let's go uh, wideouts. 
wideouts, I'm going to go BYU, even though Gunnar Romney's probably out for this game. Ooh. I think Puka Nakua should be back. Samson Nakua should be out there. Uh, I know that there's a lot of speculation for Neil Pau, but I expect Neil Pau to be out there. For Utah, you go to Nakua and, and Covey, but I still like BYU's wideouts. I tend to agree with that one. Running backs. Uh, Utah's got a really deep crew with Tavion Thomas kind of leading that now and Mikhail Bernard being excellent. Uh, I'll probably give the advantage slightly to BYU with Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa. Algier looks like he's most likely going to be another 1,000 to, to 1,500 yard back this season. The guy continues to impress. But a lot of credit goes to that offensive line. And even though you picked Utah's offensive line, I think we both know uh, yeah. what they're doing up there at BYU with yep. with recruiting and, and being able to really get guys in that program that can make it to the next level, which lacked for a while. And that's why I think BYU struggled for years was because their O-line just was not able to really control the line of scrimmage. Um, what about QBs? Going Utah, Charlie Brewer. What about backup QBs? Because um, you never know in a rivalry game, enough. man. You never I know. Don't know enough happen. about Cam Rising. I, uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll go just slight advantage to backups BYU. I, you know, at least Romney's got some game experience. Cam Rising's got just uh, a quarter under his belt if that maybe yep. all right okay let's let's get into their keys to success uh if if byu were were going to come away with a victory their first one in uh what 11 years it's been quite a while since the last time we heard byu uh yep. what do they got to do plus one in the, the turnover battle um and i know that that's generic but in the rivalry game, it's proven to be large. And Utah's got that 29 to 14 turnover advantage in the last nine games. The BYU has to flip that. They can't have, they got to be plus one in that margin. I don't, I don't even uh, remember a few years ago when they got like the seven turnovers in that one game and the, yep. uh, the Arby's right across the street from the stadium in Provo gave out free turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some. <laughs> There've been oh, some man. tough ones. Um, they've got it. They BYU's got to really utilize their talent. Jaron Hall's just got to be a distributor, and I wouldn't even go as far as to say to protect Jaron. Jaron's just got to get it out of his hand and get it to his targets. And they got to move around. You BYU's going to try to keep Utah in front of them. And if Utah wants to win in this one, as BYU is doing everything they can to keep them in front of them and do the bend don't break, Utah needs to establish the run and control the clock offensively, which I think that they've got the capabilities doing. They need to force BYU out of the drop eights. And BYU does a really good job of actually coming up and run support in their drop eights, but Utah's got to force them out of that game plan in order to win this game. But this thing is such a toss-up. has been ever since I played in it, well before I played in it. Um, you, you can have all kinds of keys to the game, but – it could come down to just one key mistake in a critical moment 
and that's just how this game goes, man. Yep. Who do you think will be the big year, biggest contributor for for each ball club? Well, probably Charlie Brewer on and, and Devin Lloyd on Utah side of things. Um, on BYU side of things, it's going to be either Isaac Rex or Dallin Holker, the, the tight ends, and then probably uh, Keenan Peely and, and Peyton Wilgar, the linebackers. That's I think that those are the those are kind of the controlling factors on on both position groups. And if you had to uh, take the over under, let's, let's see what it is. I think it's forty nine. Are you going over under on that? I'd go over. And it looks like uh, Utah minus seven. You taking that spread? Uh, no, no. What do you think? Not it's taking be? Utah. Not taking Utah to cover, but I'm taking Utah to win. All right. Final score prediction. Uh, I'm not going to throw that one out. Okay. I I got I got to hold on to that one. I if if I'm going to give my prediction. Uh, I, I, anybody listened to the last episode, I kind of spoke about it. I actually, for some reason, believe that it's going to be a shootout this year. Uh, I, I think Jaron Hall is going to have a big game. I don't know why. I, I just kind of get this feeling that he's, he might be ready for it. Charlie Brewer, obviously, I just said he was an NFL quarterback a little bit earlier, so he's going to have a big game, and I think it's just going to be a shootout. Uh, I think forty-two thirty-five, way wow. over on, on the over/under. Wow! But yeah, forty-two points on that Utah defense. Woo. No, no, Utah with the win. Oh, forty-two thirty-five points Utah. on that Utah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be a fun one, man. Can't Agreed. wait to watch it. Well, I thank you for your time, brother. If uh, if you want to come back, you're welcome anytime soon. And uh, yeah, holy war. Appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. Have a good one. All right, man. Okay, bye. What a great show. Again, thank you to Mr. Hans Olsen of 97.5-1280 The Zone, and I thank him for his time joining me here on King Speak as the king of the day. I also want to say thank you to this episode's sponsor, TMJ Therapy. If you're experiencing any kind of jaw pain, popping, blocking, any, any headaches, migraines, sleep apnea, anything of the sort, you could be suffering from dysfunction of your TMJ. But this can be treated through oral appliance therapy. Dr. McMillan and Dr. Hart at TMJ Therapy have helped hundreds of people get out of pain through their non-invasive therapy treatment. They have the latest technology, such as a 3D CBCT scan, which I've had done myself. They were able to check everything out in my skull and my jaw from all angles, figure out what was wrong. They were also able to view my airways that affect your breathing while you sleep. Just, you can't hesitate. You need to call these guys. Get a consultation. If you mention Tucker Bass sent you, you'll get $10 off that first consultation. That phone number is 801-756-0900. They're located in American Fork, North Ogden, and Riverton. Again, that's 801 756 0900. Thank you so much for joining the King Speak podcast again, everybody. We'll see you next time.
Salke.